Miller's Block, journalistic hijinks, proudly presented by Big Kahuna Burger. Now that is a tasty burger. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and The Jump, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... Uh... David Avalone, screenwriter, filmmaker, comic book writer, drunken reprobate, owner of fine Star Wars glassware. Oh, wow. Love it. Yeah, we were just talking uh, uh, before uh, in the green room, and I'm rocking uh, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant there, little Roddy Piper. That's like 1985. It's always always good radio when we talk about the visuals. (laughs) It's always good radio. Uh, If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes uh, featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, Alex DeCampi, John Lehman, and many, many more. Our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Um, Before we get to today's show, a quick plug. Um... My uh, uh, kick you in the teeth and not anywhere else, as we've talked about before. Uh, paranoid thriller set in the world of astral projection titled uh, The Jump. Again, great radio because I have a beautiful visual aid here. Uh, it is live right now on Kickstarter. Uh, we funded as of yesterday and we are still kicking ass and taking names. We have uh, amazing um, stretch goals to kind of churn through here right now. Uh, if you log on and throw us a back, uh, every backer receives I think it's 16 plus comics uh, uh, for one single pledge. Um, you know, we just hit our uh, bonus digital extravaganza. So um, uh, just just a pile of comics from uh, some of the hottest creators out there. So uh, check it out. It's a great comic. All the info is in the show notes. So uh, check that out. And uh, let's get to our show. Let's bring our guests on. Huh? All right. Meet Caitlin and Hannibal. Howdy, howdy. Hello. Caitlin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Caitlin Vosberg. I write about comics mostly at the AV Club, but I've also written about, you know, comics-related pop culture at places like Polygon and um, Pace Magazine for a long time. Although, hilariously, the one that my dad is most proud of is the Missouri Book Review, because that's what he read when he was in college. So, (laughs) uh, the nerdy ones don't matter to him, but the serious literature one does. Amazing. Totally makes sense. Right. And Hannibal. (laughs) <laughs> I'm Hannibal Taboo. Uh, on the journalism side, I'm the head comics reviewer at BleedingCool.com. After doing 16 years at Comic Book Resources, uh, doing reviews and uh, comic book adaptation coverage there, I have uh, written for Vibe, Black Enterprise, The Source, um, AOL, MTV. I was the editor of the Herald Dispatch in Los Angeles for six years. Um, Los Angeles Sentinel, I did my, my first internship there in 93. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've been bouncing around <laughs> journalisming, uh, uh, in the fourth estate for, uh, some time. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm honestly happy the check's still clear, honestly. <laughs> yeah. This I'm is very, a, I'm very impressed that you haven't, that you, the AOL is still on the resume, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, that you have for my mom. That one's for my mom. <laughs> grandpa, grandpa has an AOL account still. I'm just, I'm, you know. Um, yeah, don't, don't, but but you still have an AOL it. account, don't you? Or, uh, your account is is AOL. Am I am I wrong? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the AOL account is amazing. Uh, people still give me crap for having a, a Yahoo account. You know, I tried to switch over to Gmail, but I had so many bugs with it that uh, I and 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 people would not switch over. They kept email, emailing me at the Yahoo, so I have to keep it. There was a guy in my fantasy football league who uh, still had a Hotmail account, 
and 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 everybody gave him so much shit that he just eventually became known as Hotmail. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so like 10 years later, there are still people who like, they don't even know the guy's actual name. They're just like, do you remember when Hotmail said this and then we all jumped on him? <laughs> so that guy's just Hotmail. So maybe we'll start calling the two of you guys AOL. I don't know. <laughs> you want to know something funny? There's still actually 2.3 million active AOL accounts with the whole, the whole nine because of rural areas and places that can't get broadband internet. So, and, you know, and old people, they still want to change. That's a great, do they still, do they still send out those CDs or? No. They can't send out the CDs anymore. No. Yeah. <laughs> I know someone who made, as an art project, made a costume out of AOL CDs, like made a burlesque costume that was all AOL CDs. I found one about 10 years ago and I held on to it for a while just as a sheer, like, <laughs> as a conversation piece slash coaster. Yeah, I wish there I was still like a had very, one. There's a very short period where that was actually like a big eBay business for exactly that reason. Like people were looking for mass quantities of them for like art installations and stuff. So if you yeah. had 50 of them, you could make some serious bank. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah, know that well. that's true anymore, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, back when, back when you, back when you had five free hours of internet a month, <laughs> yeah. and, had to, and it was metered after that, which is oh just kind God. of amazing I, to think about. I, I have to imagine that kind of the gate has swung the other way on that because it's like, yeah, there, there was a time where they were worthless, but now we are in such, particularly like in this period of, um, you know, being kind of locked inside for the pandemic, we're in such a like period of nostalgia and like people have disposable income that they can't spend anywhere else. So like all this stuff online is going crazy. Like uh, uh, the price of like sports cards has like tripled, quadrupled, quintupled uh, uh, while we, we've all been locked inside. And I'm watching it. Um, I get into kind of like, crazy old vhs sometimes i'm gonna um i'm gonna you know show another visual aid here again great radio but um somebody just sent me these these amazing uh karate kid uh, uh vhs oh tapes from from japan wow and they're gorgeous like the art on on them is amazing and you know it's such a i mean i'm never gonna put these in a player but like just as a, a piece of art so i mean i'm watching people i'm watching people pay like 50 dollars for like a vhs on on ebay right now um, so amazing. I wonder, I wonder what that AOL CD gets you right now. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> they might be like 25 bucks a piece because they're such like a, a, a bit of nostalgia at this point. Yeah. Who knows? It, it is crazy what people will, uh, what, what people will put a lot of value on. Uh, especially I, I used to look for old, uh, mini DV and high eight cameras. Cause I still have a bunch of tapes that I should eventually transfer to digital someday. And people wanted like, you know, $4,000 for a high eight camera. And I'm like, Look, I'm God. sorry you paid five thousand dollars for this in 1992, but man, <laughs> it is not. It is it is essentially worthless now, and you should let go of that. Did, did, to, get to, our, to get to our topic, I wanted to <laughs> as much as as much as it's fun talking about the the dead tech. I'm 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 literally looking at a box with 150 cassette tapes in it while we're having this conversation. Oh wow! Um, no idea what I'm though. That will probably be an art project, but. Send it over here. Because, uh, you know, most people, I think, who come into the comics, comics work or the comics industry, to the degree that it's an industry, uh, come in without a roadmap. Uh, without a roadmap. And uh, a topic that I haven't heard come up a lot is comics journalism and how to interact with comics journalism as a creator. So the first question I have for you both is, what do you think comic creators need to know about comics journalism and comics journalists? Ladies first. 
I think a lot of it is um, there's this this misconception around criticism kind of at large, right? I think it applies to art criticism, games criticism, anybody that's covering a highly creative field. Um, and you hear this from folks that are not friends with comics journalists, say stuff like, oh, they just want to make comics and this is their entry point, right? And there are some folks that do that. Like, I do have friends that they started doing journalism first and then got into creation. And that's a perfectly valid career path. But there is also this misbelief that, like, that's the only reason people are in it. And that the only reason someone would pan something or criticize something is because they're jealous. Um, and, and so I think the first thing is just, like, and again, this applies to any any journalist covering a creative industry if someone is covering your work, it's either because it was assigned to them, which is fine, or it's because something it's they're genuinely passionate about, or both. That, that's just what it comes down to. None of us are being paid enough money to write bad things about bad books. It just like I'm not getting paid enough to do that, but I am incredibly passionate about comics as an industry. I love supporting comics. I love people that make comics, and I want comics to continue to get recognition as like something really amazing. And I think that the people who like know journalists personally understand that that's where most of us are coming from. But right. the folks that like to think of critics as like this big, mean, na nasty monster in the, co in the corner just coming to ruin their day. That's not what we're about. That's not what anybody's about, I don't think. I think that's, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point to start out with. Hannibal? Yeah, I was just going to say one of the things that I think I would love for comic creators to know is that uh, they, their idea of what a story is and the, the world at large's idea of a story are not the same. So, for example, hey, I've got a new Kickstarter. Literally nobody cares. Literally. Hey, I've got a new issue of this thing coming out. So? I mean, why would anybody that's not you or your mom be interested in this? <laughs> On the other hand... On the other hand, if you are, say, for instance, from, I don't know, Omaha, Nebraska, right? And this is your first independently done book covering a topic that's never, you know who'd be interested in that? The newspaper in Omaha, Nebraska. They would love to get a press release about that because that's something specific to their audience as something specifically interesting to them. Now, comic book journalism specifically is a much harder nut to crack because most of the people who read comic book journalism really only care about two words. Marvel and DC. That's unfortunate, but true. So when you're putting out a story, either A, you have to come up with a name that they recognize from Marvel or DC, or you have to come from an angle that is so different, like Jay Ferber did with Noble Causes, or if you come up with a direction for things that is so unusual, like Mark Bernardin and Adam Freeman did with Genius, the top cow, that makes it a story. Um, doing things like I launched a Kickstarter, I launched a this, I launched a that. Everybody does that. That's not news. That's, that's happenstance. And understanding the difference for that and angling the specific story at a specific person for a specific reason is what makes the difference in getting news coverage and not. When I was at the Herald-Dispatch, I would get a, st this is how old I am, I would get a stack of mail and faxed press releases this high. And I would just look at, nope, 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 nope. Uh, maybe. Nope. Nope. I would just fly through it like that because there was so much information to deal with that I couldn't really gift, you know, oh, it's a new Kickstarter, but I don't care. And moreover, right. my readers don't care. 
unless you make them care. Show me why this is. So if this is a Kickstarter from, I don't know, uh, uh, somebody who came up from Nickerson Gardens in Los Angeles and self-created their own work, taught themselves how to do things, started out as a tattoo artist, and now are getting into comics, that's a story. I could work with that. But a Kickstarter is not a story. It's just a post. Right. Well, and there's a there's there's a distinction here also that is probably worth making, which is there's journalism and then there's reviews, mm -hmm. which are a yeah. kind of journalism, but it's definitely not the same thing. A feature story, which is what you're talking about, does have to have an angle. That's true of any. And if you're if you want to promote a thing, and this is true across this is true in the across the world. What is the angle? And if there is no angle, you are not going to get, you know, I wrote my first novel is not breaking news uh, to, as you say, to anyone but your mom. I hope yeah. it's breaking news to your mom and I hope she's very proud of you. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, the two things are the search for the angle and if you're not at Marvel DC, to get reviewed. You know, as someone who has mostly written comics at Dynamite, uh, I don't get reviewed a lot by people who get a lot of eyes on them. And I will say this with all love in the world. I have read positive rave reviews of my work that I will not repost because they are so poorly written <laughs> that I'm like, this makes me that you wrote this and you love me makes me look bad. Actually, well, it, it, like it, it, this is a really interesting point. Um, I, I'm hearing a little echo there, Evelyn. I, I don't know if that's from you or, um, but a really interesting point because I, I, I feel like we're sitting here with two very rep reputable, you know, comics journalists, re reviewers <laughs> that work for for reputable sites. But but we are now in this age, and this has changed so radically over the course of certainly the last you know uh, five years. But but I mean, it, it's been warp speed the last year, the last two years, the last three years, where anyone and everyone can sit down at a computer throw a, a WordPress site up and say, oh, I, I, I'm a reviewer now. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's a blessing and it's a curse because, uh, you know, I mean, as a guy who started out, you know, publishing with Action Lab um, and, and and who a guy who, you know, now because of the pandemic has, has moved a lot of business on Kickstarter and whatnot. Um, some of those smaller entities can give you a real boost. I mean, they do have small, very loyal readerships in a, in, in a lot of ways, right? Um, and a, you know, uh, a, a, a glowing review, you know, from one of those things looks, looks really nice on a, uh, a book jacket, looks really nice on a Kickstarter site, looks really nice on a, uh, a company press release and all that stuff. So there is a service that provides, but then there's also this dark side to it. Right. And, 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 and it, it doesn't just have to do with the literacy level of, of the person who's, who's typing this thing out in his or her underwear, uh, at 3am. Right. Um. I mean, you know, there there are some people in those dark corners that are kind of in it for the wrong reasons, right? You know, I mean, the, they're trolls in like every aspect of it, right? And so, it is um, the 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 this universe has become such a weird minefield now. I'm just wondering, uh, 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 you know, one, how you guys feel about sites like that, um, and and do you have advice in terms of uh, you know creators navigating it and all that? I. 
I am I am generally of the opinion that the more accessible something is to the more people, the better it is. Just like mm-hmm. kind of as a general rule. And I, I find it really interesting that like, yes, there is this boom in comics coverage, if we want to call it journalism, critique, whatever. But it's kind of actually about 10 years behind the boom in web comics. And if you're talking about the accessibility to create something and get it seen by people, it's better than it's ever been before. So I do think you're right that there, especially if you're talking about someone who's very inexperienced coming into an industry that they came in as a webcomic person. I'm thinking about like um, Ungozi Ukazu from Check Please or Laura Olympus or these like big now massively popular webcomics. These are predominantly young women. It's a lot of young women of color. And like, this is going to be a really delicate process for them to understand where they can go and who they can trust, because there definitely are going to be people out there that want to take advantage of them and not just on the comics journalism side. I think looking at like the simplest thing would be to look at who they follow on Twitter, frankly. And if somebody follows a bunch of comic skaters or dudes with super straight colors and their avatars or whatever, just like, no, not for you. This is not where the corner of the internet you should be in. Um, and, and Twitter is a great resource too, because like, if you follow me or Hannibal or Tesh or like any number of other of our colleagues and you see who we're interacting with, mm-hmm. then there's at least some assumption that we can like vouch for that person at least a little yeah. bit. And if they don't have as, as, as big of a site as we do, reach out to them. I also want to say 90% of the pitches I get for coverage are either from PR companies. So actual like this is their job. They're reaching out as a company or from dudes. I get a lot less pitches from women. I think just simply out of imposter complex. Like, I don't think that they think that totally. they are big enough, important enough to pitch me. And I'm like, no, please do. I The problem is that I'm getting pitched books that frankly, I'm just not interested in. And so if I review them, I'm not going to enjoy it. Like, please bring me your shoju sports like webcomic. Like that is, that's what I want right now. I want sweet, soft, romantic sports comics. Bring that to me. So uh, I, I think that that's a, a pretty good place to start. It's just the worst that can happen is they say no, you know? Right. I'm very glad that Caitlin mentioned Check, Please, because I completely fell in love with that. It's one of, I, I love it all the time. So I'm, anytime I hear Check, Please, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that said, um, I learned something from my mentor, a woman named Regina Jones, who started uh, Soul Magazine in 1966 in Los Angeles. And... She said, it's all public, good publicity as long as they spell your name right. So I've gotten a lot of reviews uh, for my own creative work from smaller outlets, from, as you say, independent blogs, people who are just starting up their own thing. And that's fine. Uh, I, as David noted, don't necessarily spotlight the ones that aren't spelled as well, but they'll show up in a Google search. They'll show up in SEO. It is totally. It is. That said, um, most of... Uh, the, the opposite of the imposter syndrome is people who have an overinflated sense of their own self-importance. Mm-hmm. For about three years, I judged the Glyph Awards for uh, the East Coast Black Age of Comics convention. And the submissions I got that people thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna put this in for an award. No, no, sweetie, no. No, don't do that, no. Uh-uh. No, 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 that's not for you at all, no. Uh, and likewise, when people come at me, like, cause I've been reviewing comics now since 2003, when people come at me like, I can't believe you didn't like this such and such an issue. This guy's been making money for so long. I'm like, all right, let me point out these four things that are from different things that you don't know about. 
Let me point out these four different things from my writing training that I took at USC in creative writing, so I kind of know what I'm talking about, that say that this is cliche and overdone. Let me point out these problematic issues that are homophobic, that are uh, transphobic, that are misogynistic, and yada, yada. And while you study those, maybe have a seat and go talk to me. Right. Because when I was younger, I was super judgmental about a lot of things, and I was wrong. Now that I'm older, I'm not so judgmental, but I'm often right. Because I've <laughs> bumped my head along the way and learned a number of things. Yeah. So towards that end, I would say that anybody reaching out for uh, a, a review, if somebody says they're open for reviews, take them up on it. Because reviews are hard to get. Bad reviews or even good reviews because, again, they boost your SEO. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, that said, um, a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of the publications, a lot of the bigger blogs and whatever are focused on click-through. So... Uh, a review of, say for, I'm, re, I'm reviewing right now for Bleeding Cool, Aletheia number 14, which I guarantee nobody else in the industry will ever see. Uh, <laughs> I stumbled across it and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, okay. Uh, and I know Bleeding Cool will get, I know the numbers that it'll get on it because I remember the numbers they got on the Aletheia 11 review. And on the other hand, if I review King and Black number four, I also know the numbers it's going to get and that's going to drive a lot more money to the site. Mm -hmm. I don't care. The people who hired me care. People who they don't, luckily, because of our agreement, they don't get, have the right to assign me anything. Mm -hmm. So they can ask me, will I do something? But I can say, screw you. Um, many writers don't have that luxury. Many yeah. sites don't have that luxury. I've done this for a long time to get that luxury, to get that privilege, to look at what I want to look at. And if people don't like it, they're welcome not to read because I've been here a long time and I'm not going anywhere. So. Right. That's a there's that outlook that I have never understood uh, being offended by someone else either loving something you hate or hating something you love. I will never maybe it's because I grew up in the pre nerd dominance of culture era. I didn't expect and nobody liked Star Trek but me when I was a kid. I had to go to a convention to meet other people that like like that was it. I was the Star Trek kid in my hometown. That was it. There was no one else. I had to leave the boundaries of my town in New Jersey to meet other kids who liked Star Trek. And so, like, I don't, you know, like, I don't care. I don't care what you like. You shouldn't care what I like. Enjoy the thing that you like. It's fine. You know, and what people getting upset about reviewers because they didn't like, you know, and there are things I will, I don't know, I don't know how you do this, uh, Ryland, but I, I rarely read bad reviews. Like I can usually, I've gotten pretty good at, I can read a headline and a first line and go, okay, this isn't going anywhere. I like, um, I will read good reviews sometimes. And I will say that sometimes, as you were saying that, that all PR is good PR to a point. Like one of my favorite reviews of my work is a bad review from a customer on Amazon because it's so hilariously, it's for one of my Betty Page trade paperbacks. And the subtext of the guy's review is, I couldn't jerk it reading this. Uh, this had a story. And so I think he makes me look great. <laughs> like, I, 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 like, I'm not trying to write a cheesecake comic. I'm telling a, trying to tell wow. an enjoyable story. And he was like, I like, you know, the pinup pages are nice, but I don't like all this other stuff. What the, what the hell's going on? With this? He's a spy and there are aliens who gives a shit. And I'm like, Thank you for speaking up as the audience I am not interested in engaging with. 
if, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, and you know, I would love to. I mean, you know, I'm an ordained, ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk, and I would love to sit here and say like, oh yeah, I'm just totally Zen about it. I just, you know, <laughs> if they don't have anything good to say, it's fine with me. I just take a deep breath. And um, okay, so I don't have, I don't have a problem if the reviewer didn't like it or gives it a bad review. Okay, they they read it and it's like this wasn't my cup of tea, or um, I don't like it for these reasons. You know, I thought this should have happened and this happened. Cool. You know, uh, no worries. What bothers me is when I read it uh, and it's clear that they didn't read it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, like they are so far off on what happened in the story, you know, uh, uh, or, or, you know, th- th- there's one review and there aren't too many that bug me, but there was one review where a gentleman came in and he reviewed issue four of, uh, of my four issue series. And it was, and, and admitted right off the bat that he hadn't read the first uh, uh, three issues. And then proceeded to pan the fourth issue by For saying, well, I, didn't under- I didn't understand what was going on. There wasn't character <laughs> development here. And it's like, it's, you know, okay. So, so, so you turn on a movie and you turn on the last, you know, 20 minutes of the movie and you're like, I don't, I don't understand why these people are here, you know? Um, <laughs> and and, 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 and I, I don't understand, you know, are they married? I don't, I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? And that makes me want to light someone on fire. <laughs> but we've made a false equivalency here. We've made a false equivalency here. A comic book is not a movie. A comic book is a TV show. It's an episode. And yep. unfortunately, and this was in definitely the wisdom of Stan Lee, that everybody's going to pick up a comic book that's not the first thing in the story. And they got to figure it out. My, my favorite 21st century sure. innovation yeah, yeah. in comics yeah. is the inside the front cover recap. <laughs> because that Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, you know, the first page that's all gee, why did Professor X bring us to this island where this is happening and this is happening? That used to make me so... I was like, I read it last month, guys. Can you just... Can we just <laughs> I don't want two pages of... For those of you who didn't read it last month. I read that, it last yeah, month. Yeah, yeah. Give it, me it, those but, two pages of story back. I'm going to yes, Andrew Hannibal, because there, there's something to that, absolutely. Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, you'd have to read the review to get what I'm saying. But, but you know, what I'm saying is put on episode four of The Wire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want to compare my book to The Wire, but I'm saying like there's, you, you know what I'm saying is there's like, there's like a certain base sort of thing, you know? I mean, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, you can pick up any issue of Batman and it's still a good story, but, but, but if, 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 if yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my, my, you know, but, but if you're writing a review and, 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 and the issue you're taking is, I don't understand why anyone would dress up in a, in a, in a, dress up like a bat. Why is this idiot running around in a bat costume? It's stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, I mean, I need are, to see uh, some pearls falling in slow motion. God damn it. I don't understand. <laughs> At the front of every single Batman comic, there has to be some goddamn pearls. Uh, on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's yeah. just that. So, I mean, that, I mean, that, that becomes my issue or, or, I mean, one of my favorite things uh, doing, and, and, and this isn't even, I mean, this isn't something that I, that I dislike necessarily. Sometimes it can, it, it can go that way. But, um, but if you, um, you know, you give somebody a comic and then you listen to like uh, a YouTuber, like recount what happened in the comic and, and, and YouTubers are all over the map. I mean, there was like, there was this one guy who I saw recap, uh, uh, issue one of Aberrant and, um, and the whole shtick on the show was that they would just get hammered, right. They would just get pummeled. And so they're, they're like, they're like an hour and 20 minutes into their show and they have like bottles of, of, of Irish whiskey in front of them. And these guys are slurring their speech. They can barely, and these guys are like, I mean, I don't know what book they were talking about, but it sounded fucking awesome, you know? 
yeah, I mean, you, 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 you talk about, um, you know, I mean, you, you talk about every every review being uh, being good for you, or whatever. I mean, they made this book sound like it was the greatest thing since fucking sliced bread, and and what what they recounted uh, together, and it was two of them going, oh yeah, and then, and I mean, man, this had nothing to do with what I had written, but <laughs> but it was, and so, um, I mean, that always cracks me up, just as like just as like an exercise, just an intellectual exercise. It's like what people will glean from from sure. from what they read is, is is always interesting and always like well, and, and sometimes it's and infuriating also, and sometimes it's wonderful and sometimes yeah also not you know this is this is something he's a sainted figure and this is a dangerous thing to say out loud but roger ebert was a fine writer yeah mm -hmm. if you read 30 years of his reviews he gets something wrong about the plot of every single movie yeah, yeah. in every single review and it drove me crazy i was like no, that's not his father. That's her husband. What the hell is he? And I was like, I was a, was Roger looking at his notebook half the time? Like he's yeah. a good writer. I understand why well, he won prizes, but his movie reviews well, as movie reviews are like, yeah, you didn't watch that movie very closely. And, 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 and Roger will be the first to say this. Roger spoke at my my AFI uh, graduation, and 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 he said this in his in in the address he gave to the to the, the graduating class was that sometimes he was just plain wrong. You know, he would um, he would go in and he was having a bad day or sure. he half watched a movie or he had to go to the bathroom like during a keen scene or something like Clearly. that. Clearly. And, and Raj would get it wrong. You can go back and find like, you know, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to remember the movie right now, but, you know, one of the greatest movies of all times. And, and he's given it a two and a half star review. And then and, 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 and then he realizes it over time and it bugs him so much that he has to go and re-review the movie 10 years later. And, and, and that happens. And, and that's interesting. I mean, I guess if you, you know, again, like if you, you'd be the best comic writer in the world and, 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 you know, and you're, you're every, every 10th issue is going to be a turd. You know? I mean, I think uh, I, I, it happens with everybody. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I think that's a really good point to bring up about the readers though, is that at a certain point as a creator, you are releasing this thing that you've made in someone else's hands, be it a professional who's like very fluent in the comics language and understands like structure and pacing and all of that good stuff, or just someone that just likes comics. And I, I think it's really fascinating that like, like Hannibal's background is in journalism and creative writing. My background's in education and anthropology. So I came to this as literature analysis and cultural analysis. Analysis. And like, there's there's different ways to approach the way that that happens, but especially when you're talking about kids. And I just happen to be like super passionate about you know middle grade YA kids comics, but I think that that is very much the future of comics in in every conceivable way. Kids are gonna miss stuff, and kids are gonna misunderstand stuff, and kids, especially if they're trying to read above their grade level, are just gonna just like not get some of the nuances that you've put into your work. And making sure that an incredibly comic literate person can enjoy and understand your work, but someone who might not grok it quite as well can also enjoy and understand your work. It's a really delicate balance, and it can it's be the... really hard. It's the Bugs Bunny. It's the Bugs Bunny syndrome, as I always call it. It's the you know I was very lucky. I watched Bugs Bunny as a kid with my dad, who was born in 1924. And when the Gremlin said, "Well, it ain't Wendell Wilkie," Wendell Wilkie's a funny sounding name. You're a kid, you laugh. My father mm -hmm. was there to say he ran unsuccessfully against F FDR for president of the United yes. States. Like, yes. I didn't, so I knew who Wendell Wilkie was as an eight year old in the 70s. You know. Uh, mm -hmm. 
all the jokes about gas rationing. And I, I try to do that. I think we all try to do that of you make the sophisticated joke. You also make sure that if someone does not get any of your references or jokes, it should still work. Mm-hmm. It should still work as a story if they don't, you know, and you can see there is definitely stuff out there where it's only referential, like mm-hmm. where there's nothing, you strip out the references and there's no, there's no story left, you know, and I, and I've seen some very big names do that. Some yeah. of the very biggest names uh, do that. There's that. Yeah. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to name those <laughs> names necessarily. <laughs> But, That's uh, our job. But, That's Ryan Hannibal's job to name yeah, those names. Right? Thing, I have you, know, you get so high on your own supply. <laughs> but it's like that's why I do those goofy writer commentaries on Bleeding Cool is partially because I wanted everyone to know how hard I worked. <laughs> it's like uh, no, it's a very sophisticated reference, actually. The um, um, the, uh, the I, I mean, this is such a good point, Caitlin. I mean, this idea of. Um, I don't know the the different sort of textures of your audience. You know, it's it, it, it's it's just interesting and and you know, I mean you know, I think Avalonis in the same camp where, you know, I mean I I work, you know, I, I work very hard on my comics and I, I try to swing for the fences, right? And and not everyone is going to 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 get it, right? Um and and that can be frustrating, but what kind of writes the ship? You know, like the greatest thing is that there are a lot of great reviewers out there, right? And they do know the medium, and and they are so they are so well versed in 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 structure and character and all these things that that they are they are the most equipped to to see a working. You know what I'm saying? And 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 so the two things that are very rewarding for me are these. There's the obvious one when when I send a book to to you know uh, someone like like you or Hannibal, and and you read it and you just get it. You know, you, 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 you decode it and, and you're like, I see what he was doing. He tried for this. He swung for the fences and, and wow, did he hit it out of the park? Awesome. Right. Um, that's great. And, and that's the ideal. The other interesting thing is, is, is when you take it apart and you're like, I see what he was trying to do. I see that he swung for the fences. He was short. And these are the reasons, you know, and, and when I can read it and I can see it and be like, oh yeah, that's. That's absolutely correct. Um, when when I learn something about myself, when I learn something about my book for a review, be it positive or negative, that's awesome. You know, that's that's uh, that, that, that's and so so screw if it goes out there and the masses love it or it sells like crazy. It's like those are the things that can kind of make it worth yeah. it. You know, it's it's soul food. I mean, it's like you need the one thing, but but there's the thing that kind of like you know, makes you feel all warm inside. And, 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 and those are the two things that are most important to me about this whole dance. But I don't want to speak on Hannibal's behalf, but those are my favorite kind of reviews to write too. Like if I can, if I can see where the creative team was going and I'm like, and either way, like my last two reviews, one of them was, I see where you're going. You got there. You knocked it out of the park. 10 out of 10. Amazing job. I think this is going to be one of the best books of the year so happened to be a middle grade book because I think middle grade books are amazing. And then the next one was, I see where you're going and you failed so spectacularly that I don't want anyone to give you money. (laughs) And those were the last two reviews that I wrote. And like both of them were about things that I find personally interesting. Um, So one was about gay pirates and the other one was about kaiju. And those are two topics that I personally hold close to my heart. But like, 
even if they hadn't been, I still would have really enjoyed the process of reading those books, figuring out what the creative team was doing. I'm very fortunate that I have a day job, right? Like my work on comics is my, it's my moonlighting. I'm Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. So I can take the time to like go back and look into people's previous work and figure out like, what do you like? Like, um, one of the reasons I actually started watching your show was David F. Walker, one of my favorites. I interviewed him a couple years ago. And again, because I'm so lucky to have this day job, I read his autobiography before I interviewed him. And so I was asking him questions about middle school because he wrote about it. And I was curious mm -hmm. about like the influence of his early life on his current work. But like, I can only do that because I have this day job that keeps the roof over my head. People that are full-time freelancers that are hustling constantly, that's that's a grind that I can't subject myself to. Like, I, I get why people do it, but I'm like, no, I want to be able to take the time to, like, figure out what's going on. The only way to do it is to have something else pay for my groceries. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Well, and that's, the that's a thing you see in modern criticism a lot and in modern film criticism as well. Uh, you know, and this is the grandpa argument, of course, but you know, you'll read a review of something and it's so clearly that the person writing the review doesn't know the history of the thing that led up to this thing. You know, I, I the, the opinion that often gets me into trouble, but that, you know, Quentin Tarantino was made popular by people who just simply are not familiar with all of the things. And I liked him when he broke in because like, oh, it's nice that someone else wants to make Don Siegel uh, gangster movies from the 1970s again. I love those keep making them but 30 years of watching him get praised for that is wearing on you from people who've never seen a Don Siegel movie that's that becomes it becomes a little acutely painful where you're like no but it's you know so uh it's always it's particularly a great feeling when you get a good review or even a challenging review from someone who actually knows what they're talking about and knows the genre and knows the history of it. And I feel like that's been lost ac across cultural reportage. And I don't know that there's anything mm. you can particularly do about it. As you said earlier, Caitlin, I'm all for the democratization of forms. Um, but it's nice when editors assign people who know the, know the topic and have bothered to learn the topic. Yeah, there's, it's interesting because this touches on something we talked about earlier. We we did not understand the cost of the geek inheriting the earth. We oh, did not no. understand the <laughs> the radicalization and tribalization yep. of of as Pat Oswalt called the American otaku who decided, yeah. oh, I've got a week to kill. I'm going to level up on my hero academia. Now I'm an expert on anime. No, you're not. No, sir. No, you're not. Right. But. On the other hand, the question flips the other way. Do I need to know about Bill Finger to understand whether or not Batman should be using a gun to shoot somebody in the face? Do I need to know that? Or is that not built into the case here? Or right. should the, and I hate to quote Warren Ellis these days, but should the significant chunk of culture in my hand give me enough in it to give me an experience that is comprehensive, to mm -hmm. give me a beginning, middle, and end an arc that is understandable and clear so I can get what I need out of it. And as you say, that is a difficult balance. For every writer, it's a difficult balance. Yeah. And in, in doing so, what we're talking about now a lot more is the connection that um, if, well, let me put it this way. The books I really enjoy are sometimes not the books I really enjoy reviewing. 
because mm -hmm. reviewing books is kind of a mechanical process of breaking things down. Whereas reading books is just, oh God, I love this. Mm -hmm. So like uh, one book that I really love right now, one book that I really love that I got a lot of criticism for was Transformers More Than Meets the Eye by James Roberts, which introduced the idea of permanent love between robots, which introduced a whole bunch of transgender issues with robots, which introduced a whole lot of societal things, a whole lot of cultural things about oppression and equality and balance. And all people said is, why do you like that stupid giant robot book? And- The robots are <laughs> and, cool right? though, like, come on. Yes, they are, yes, that's true. <laughs> but as Rylan said, they weren't reading the freaking book. Right. Uh, Marguerite Scott wrote this bit about Starscream in one of the spinoff books where it was like, they put you into this war machine. You weren't supposed to be a war machine. You were supposed to be an explorer. You're supposed to fly to the stars and scream to us what wonders were there. But people don't, people, all they was like, wait a minute, Starscream? You mean the guy who stabs Megatron in the back all the time? No, 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 no. <laughs> don't look at your stereotypes, you simps. Pay right. attention to what we're actually doing. <laughs> and, well, that's, and that's, to me, that's also, the, that's the, the greatest challenge of what we do as creators of this stuff is, uh, and I won't retell the whole long anecdote, but my dad wrote a novelization. He was a novelist. One of his most horrible jobs is he had to no novelize Friday the 13th part three. Ooh. Mm. And long story short, he went down into his study with the, with the, with the script, depressed, unhappy that this is how he had to earn a living this day. Three, I started hearing typing. Three hours later, he came up with papers in his hand and he said, I want you to read this. I'm doing something with Jason here. It's really, it's really good. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, God bless you, man. Like you found a way to love writing the novelization of Friday the 13th part three. You found a way to put yourself into Friday the 13th. And I had read the script. The script was absolute garbage. There was nothing in there. But I took the lesson and I have taken that lesson my whole life is that at the first feature film I directed, they the what came down from the producers was the main characters have to be a stripper and a kickboxer. Awesome. And again, my reaction was, <laughs> okay. But then I went, a stripper and a kickboxer are human beings. Stories happen to human beings. You don't have to write a bad movie about a stripper and a kickboxer, in fact, just because they're a stripper and a kickboxer. You can write a good movie about any two characters. And if you can't, you're not a writer. Like you're not, at least you're not, you know, you're not a versatile writer to say the least. And so what you're saying about that book, you know, that's a valuable thing. Did you say it was James Robinson? James Roberts. James Roberts, Roberts is a British writer. And he's, he's, and what's so weird because he took that and then he went to this super kitty video game adaptation book that again, at his core was not really smart, not really tell. But after you've read three issues of it, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing here. He's very yeah. It's yeah. all no, it's it's all about it's all about smuggling to mm -hmm. a certain degree. It's all about and again, we count on you and Caitlin to be the ones to say, hey, look at this thing that got smuggled into this story about giant robots or strippers or kickboxers. You know, that's <laughs> the that's oh, wow. the and to tell people you should pick up this giant robot book, it's not what you thought it's you know, literally that's the... more than meets the eye literally <laughs> <laughs> i see what you did there
Don't be I've been, I've been holding that joke. I've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I, I saw I, I my. Can't... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was, I was going to make a dumb joke. I'm sure you're no. going to say something much more interesting. <laughs> it, it's, it is pretty dumb, honestly. It's how I sell my favorite superhero TV show, which no one ever expects to be my super, my favorite superhero TV show. I love superheroes. I went into grad school student loan debt to write about Batman. Like I, I love superheroes so much. My favorite superhero TV show, live action of all time, is Legends of Tomorrow. It is. Over the top, it is campy that is as an fuck. Insane show. It is, and, and I, when I tell people, it is the spiritual heir to Batman '66. It is that level of campy and ridiculous, mm -hmm. but it is also anti-capitalist, super queer, advocates yeah. for disabled people. Like it, it smuggles so much in under the radar that by the time you get to the third season, you're like, wait a minute, is everybody on the ship gay? They are all gay. That's really cool. And they all hate money, and they all want to post scarcity society, but they're also fighting demons with talking stuffed animals. Great. Right. I am 100% here for this. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, like, people, people will complain to me about the superhero shows that they don't like. And I'm like, first of all, then stop watching them. And second of all, the the benefit of having so much nerd content although you're right the the nerd hegemony is is alarming to me for a lot of reasons the benefit of having so much nerdy content is that if there's something that you don't like just go looking because there is something you do like too totally i always use man from atlantis as the example there was a tv <laughs> show in the 70s called man from atlantis with patrick duffy from dallas playing a web-footed and it was it was incredibly bad, but we were so starved for science fiction on television in the 1970s. <clears throat> Everyone I know that liked sci-fi TV watched every episode of Man <laughs> from Atlantis because it's all you had. There was literally mm -hmm. nothing. You know, Starlog magazine devoting five pages to the movie Laser Blast. <laughs> because there's nothing, else to, there's nothing else to review. There's nothing else in production before Star Wars to talk about. So... Yep. Uh, when I think about the fact that it's like, I'm waiting for Friday to watch a Falcon and Winter Soldier show after Winona Earth. It's like the, the abundance of crazy riches we have now. Yeah, and yeah. yes, you can also, like I started watching Supergirl when it was first on and I liked it, but at a certain, you know, CW soap opera level, I went, this isn't for me. Yeah. It's great. I like the actors, but the stories, I'm not, this is, I'm not the audience for this. I don't care enough about who's dating who and why and all that. And I don't, I can bow, I don't have to hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to be mad at it. I don't have to, and it, the DC to me is so, what the greatest evidence of how broken they are is that the crisis on infinite earths was handled largely through Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl and Batwoman. Like, that the biggest Crazy. story DC ever told. They're like, you know, we're going to let TV handle that. But by the same token, what Hannibal said earlier, comic books aren't movies. Comic books yeah. are television. And, yeah. mm -hmm. and the thing to me, at least, is... I, I'm so burnt out by comic book movies specifically, and specifically how of mouse movies, the emotional manipulation through music is just like, I'm fucking over it. I don't want to listen to another sweeping violin score to tell me what I should be feeling in this moment because the writers haven't managed to communicate that to me effectively. I'm done with that. 
But if I'm given five seasons of television to actually like build an emotional connection and believe that the characters have built an emotional connection. And the thing that DC has been doing that I actually think is a lot smarter than Marvel is there's multiple versions of every character that you could want to see. So if you love Gotham, Gotham is there for you. And you might also like Batwoman. But if you if that's not your jam, there's so many other pieces of content to go pick from. Whereas if you don't like the MCU version of a character, there is no other version of that character for you to go watch. That is the version. That's it. And I think part of the strength of superhero comics is like there's a lot more there's a lot more breadth and width. I know that there's like some, there's a little bit, like Marvel's getting a little bit better about it, but like, I'm just, I'm so sick of Marvel. I gotta be honest, guys. Like, I'm just, I'm tired of Disney. I just, I'm very tired. <laughs> they, they they appreciate that and they will keep making money anyway because that's the Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, because I was about, when you said, you know, if you don't like the version, that's the only version, I was about to say Flag Smashers entered the chat. But um, <laughs> yeah. There are, there is a formula, and they're they're following a formula very carefully, and they're doing it because they're Disney, and that's how they make yeah. money. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to apply that to Star Wars, which is working on the Mandalorian, and less so on shows like Star Wars Resistance, which was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, when you bring this all down to the comics that we deal, which some say is the DNA of, of what what's happening here in this regard, the um, the 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 things that we're watching swim through the zeitgeist both enhance the kind of tribalism and kind of uh, open antagonism that created the the attacking of Godzilla versus Kong by the Snyderverse people, mm-hmm. but also created Comicsgate. Also, if you scroll back from that, had Hal's Emerald Advancement team that wanted uh, that wanted what's his name, uh, uh, Kyle Rayner replaced by Hal Jordan. Oh no, you've made Hal a villain. We want we want it back. We want it back. It's always this, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back to this kind of status quo that some people enjoyed, but many people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and despite the fact that there's every bit of empirical evidence showing that the way things are doing now make much more money than the way things are doing then, mm-hmm. these people believe that their nostalgia, their belief, their aesthetic is more important than the business requirements of a multi-billion dollar corporation. And to quit, of the time, those corporations say you can suck it until it gets into their money, like Gina Carano, who literally got fired on her day off. How do you get fired on your day off? (laughs) Don't come in tomorrow. Just don't come in tomorrow. We'll send, we'll ship your stuff. We'll ship it. Don't worry about it. We've cleaned out your desk already. I mean, she got fired while she was waiting for her spinoff to start. And that's, oof. That is a big oof. Her but, accountant was crying so hard about that. Oh, I'm, oh I'm sure. I'm sure. But look, you know, these are, you know, as I always say, people think these are political decisions when they're just financial ones. It's just yeah. what will the audience put up with and what will the audience not put up with? What, do, what are they willing to sit for and what will, are they not willing to sit for? And she you was, know. I mean, she was working for months, if not years, on getting herself fired. You know, I mean, pe- people love to say like, "Oh yeah, she fired off a tweet and got herself fired," but it was like, no, that was like she, she worked hard. This, yeah, she built yeah. this really ugly juggernaut of like hate and ugliness, and uh, and uh, you know, it was finally the straw that broke the camel's back. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I always again, like framing that's, this. That's not new. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I always like framing this conversation around Red Player One. 
because you can judge people pretty quickly around their feelings for Ready Player One of like if they watched Ready Player One or Ready Player Two and were just like super into the idea of a story that is basically just nostalgia fan service, which did make them a lot of money, but had like some really fundamental storytelling problems and issues with like racism and sexism and, you know, the big ones. That's what this whole conversation is, is Ready Player One is literally a novel about a white dude that wants to live in his past so badly that he does. And it's like kind of, it's just, there's, there's just this perfect little avatar for the conversation of like, I have friends that I adore, I love them to death, that literally stopped reading comics after the New 52 and refused to ever give DC any of their money ever again, because they didn't like that their favorite character got whatever. And I'm like, I love you so much. You are one of my favorite people. That is bonkers. Like yeah. we're saying, this is a company, they want to make money, and they understand that at some level, there has to be generational changes to draw yeah. in new readers and then keep those new readers. Well, so you know, and this is something I've been thinking about. The, the only convention I've ever been a guest of honor at, I wrote a Doc Savage comic, and there is a Doc Savage convention, and they mm-hmm. had me come along. <laughs> and thinking about what I was going to say to them, one of the things that I felt was worth saying, and I, it, it, it developed into an idea about pop culture in general. All of the stuff we love was intended to be disposable. Mm-hmm. You were not, you were supposed to read your Doc Savage pulp magazine, throw it in the trash and forget it ever happened to you. That was the intention of all pulp fiction. That was mm-hmm. the intention of all of that kind of art. Before television, you saw a movie once in a movie theater and you never thought about it again because it was never on it. If it was a big giant movie, it would get revived every couple of years. You'd see it the one time, you'd see The Wizard of Oz the one time a year it was on television. But the average movie, if it wasn't a James Bond movie every Sunday night on ABC, forget about it, it's gone, it, it never happened. <laughs> and now we've all got the Library of Alexandria in our pockets and on our TVs and we can see everything we want at any time and nothing is disposable. But this idea that, this crazy idea that there's this thing I liked and it ran three seasons in the 1960s and you have to keep giving me exactly that thing, exactly (laughs) the way it was. I'm like, well, William Shatner is 90, buddy. Like that's, shit happens to Captain Kirk. He gets old, he dies, that's, move on. And you know Mm -hmm. what, if you don't like the new thing, the world is full of other things for you to enjoy. But this idea that I'm guaranteed a Batman that does this and acts this way and Robin is Dick Grayson and like that that hasn't been true since the 30s, man. Like you know, like move on. And and so I I found it it, it helps me to go like there's always this churn. Uh you know, it's the it's the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull ruin, you know, raped my childhood nonsense. <laughs> it's like I'm pretty sure I have my Indiana Jones box set right over the Spielberg did not come to my house and feed my copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark into a shredder. I can watch Mm -hmm. it whenever I want. Also, if you've seen Temple of Doom, he's been making bad Indiana Jones movies since 1984. So it's not like, oh, suddenly he made a bad. They're all bad (laughs) except the first one, pretty much. But that, you know, that was the joke I made about Star Trek 2009. It's like, to my wife's disappointment, Chris Pine has not shown up to burn our William Shatner DVDs. 
<laughs> like we're all, she's very she hurt. She door. was expecting, you know, Zach Keto at least mm -hmm. to show up and and shred uh, my old Star Trek shit, and it never happened. And we can still watch it whenever the hell we want. And that nerd gatekeeping, and that cl that clinging fiercely to the thing that that was your first version of it. It's like go back and watch that again. It's fine. The, un the unfortunate reality there is that, uh, as they say, hurt people hurt people. And for yeah. decades and decades, nerd culture was one of the underdog, the oppressed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Lord Acton talked about what power does. And we know very clearly how that turned into the gatekeeping, how that turned into what happened to Kelly Marie Tran, how that turned into, you know, uh, Comics Gate and so on and so forth. So when we look at it, we, we as journalists, first of all, we have a responsibility to call shenanigans on. Uh, okay. Journalism was first considered the fourth estate. It was considered something that stands outside the clergy and the power structure and even the common man to give a perspective on things that makes things makes more sense. But in the sense of what you were talking about with the disposability of things, you know, Shakespeare was disposable. Shakespeare was mm -hmm. the lowest possible form of entertainment. Yet people, the ideas stuck in people's minds. The concept mm -hmm. stuck in people's minds and it endured. A literary quality is not something that you imbue in it with your great powers and your you know, helm of, helm of a, a, a Naboo or whatever. It's something that happens because you capture an element of the zeitgeist. You capture mm -hmm. an emotional reality. And did George Lucas do it better than Kurosawa in Hidden Fortress? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not really here to say. I'm saying he did it financially better than Kurosawa. And many people would consider that a success. It is what it is, one way or another. But if you track back through the generations, as, as we were talking before, okay, so you want your Superman to be specifically this way. Well, I'm sorry, I'm an originalist, so your Superman can't fly. You want your Batman to be what way? Oh, I'm sorry, no, I'm an originalist. Your Batman actually you know, has guns and, and shoots up corrupt city politicians. Sorry. Yeah. So if yeah. we're going to get into the generation, my thing, Superman is mostly uh, mostly beating up uh, slumlords <clears throat> and wife beaters. That's exactly that's yeah. my that's my 1936, 1937 Superman. I like that Superman. So uh, anybody who t comes to me and says Hal Jordan, I'm like, I'm sorry, Alan Scott. I'm sorry, I don't hear you. <laughs> right. And I'm sorry, Alan Scott's gay. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What but the, that's the, what I mean, the, but the thing about the thing about Kurosawa, like we're still looking at Kurosawa and Lucas. And mm -hmm. the thing that I will always say for Lucas is he never was shy of talking about Kurosawa. No. He never had to pretend Kurosawa didn't exist. Mm. Matter of fact, it's, I think I may be the first person that at least I, – I know I added this to the IMDb. The funniest moment in Star Wars for me – I don't know if you've ever noticed that the guy he strangles on the Death Star is in the middle of saying the words Hidden Fortress. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Like, up, 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 up. Don't say Hidden Fortress in this movie, buddy. The Rebels Hidden Fortress. Seven Samurai. You know, it's that, that cracked me up when I know it took me years to go. Oh wait, yeah. Of all the things for someone to be choked off saying in this particular movie, let me just drop this one on you. If you ever get the chance, there's a website called StarWarsRingTheory.com. It will change everything you think about those movies in yeah. the best possible way. Okay, it is the. Yeah, it's. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that's quite the tease. One of the. I, one of the no, go ahead, sorry, Ken. Go ahead. No, I no was, you. One of the one of the things that 
kind of um, endures to me across all of this. And it goes back to what you were saying about Lucas. Like, we can't say that Lucas did Hidden Fortress better than Curacao, but we can say he made more money, right? And this definitely comes from like my education background. I was a social science teacher, specifically to high school students. And the, the thing that they told me when I got into that in university was, you are doing citizenship education. They do not need to know who was in the War of 1812 when they're 30 years old. They do need to understand the context of our government in order to vote for themselves. That's really what it comes down to. And the question that we asked in every single class, every single, every single class that I taught was, who is trying to sell you something and why? And that is something that like journalists in comics talk about a lot, but it's really not necessarily part of the larger cultural conversation about nerds. Like when I make a comment about like, Kevin Feige is good at his job. His job was to make money for Disney and help them sell toys to boys. And then people get really angry at me when I say that. I'm like, no, no, no. That was explicitly the purpose of Disney buying Marvel and Star Wars was so that they could monetize IP for boys because most of their content is monetized for girls. And then people would get mad at me. And I'm like, no, again, his job was to do this and he did a good job. And if you talk about like who is making the money and in which context, it becomes a lot more interesting. Like when, when the Eddie Berganza thing hit, my editor reached out and said, would you be willing to write about this? And I said, yes, but it's going to be mostly about unions. And she was like, it's a, it's a story about like sexual harassment. And I'm like, it's a story right. about a full-time employee harassing freelancers. And comics people don't have a union, not even the full-time employees, but specifically the freelancers don't have any kind of protection. And if you are a freelancer where your ability to pay your bills is dependent on your willingness to let your editor touch you or say things to you, that's a union story in my mind. That's a worker's mm -hmm. labor story in my mind. I think that that's one of the things that I wish we talked about more in pop culture journalism writ large is like, we need to follow the money, for lack of a better right. phrase, of like, who is doing this and why, and what are they trying to sell me? Right. But I, I, will also, genius, I will also say that <laughs> someone, I remember when, when Mad Men ended, there was a lot of, I remember a lot of people that I knew, or at least encountered online, clearly didn't understand that Matt Weiner thinks advertising is a valid form of human expression. Mm. Like they 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 viewed Don as the villain. They didn't think him coming up with the memorable Coke ad was a redemption arc of a sort. And I'm like, I don't think you watch the show very closely. Uh, and also, we're all selling Coca-Cola. And the minute you tell yourself you're too good to be selling Coca-Cola, you're not working in the popular arts. You have you're lying to yourself about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. No matter where you work, you are selling some form of Coca-Cola. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean what you're doing is bad. Uh, Mozart was writing music to make a king happy. Mm -hmm. That was his Coca-Cola. Yeah, Michelangelo first, was painting to make a pope happy. Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola. My first entry into superheroes was radio dramas from the 30s. So, like, mm -hmm. it was all, like, the Phantom, the Shadow, like, that stuff. And all of that stuff was Blue specifically Cole. commissioned. Yeah, it was commissioned by companies. It was commissioned by toothpaste I literally companies. Put a Blue companies. Cole, I put a Blue Coal commercial in a Shadow comic I wrote. <laughs> sort, of as an, I, sort of as an inside joke about, like, 
This is this is how this is why you still remember this stuff. Blue coal, exactly. Sponsored and I think, the shadow. I think remembering that, like at the end of the day, superheroes like writ large, not like specifically, but like writ large, a lot of the stuff is like you said, it's pulp, and it was meant to advertise something. Like, and and what it is advertising has changed over the years. But like, right. when people talk about comics having to be like this great big serious gritty dark thing like some of them can be some of them can be like very specific analysis of a historical moment but some of them also are just there to sell you a snickers bar like that's Mm -hmm. that's the reality of it right but and the job like my dad with the friday the 13th thing is how do you make it an appealing thing for you to sell coca-cola how does Don Draper turn his transcendence and dream of world peace into a Coca-Cola commercial all sitting on an ashram in Southern California? Well, I mean, what's, what's interesting to me, what's interesting to me is that, you know, I think what we've seen very recently is, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but the comics have become the Coca-Cola, right? Mm-hmm. Like comics used to be there to sell Coca-Cola. Now that Disney has it, you know, Marvel is like, you know, Marvel is bigger than Coca-Cola and Marvel is the ultimate product, you know, and, 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 and now it's almost like Coca-Cola is there to sell Marvel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like every other product exists to slap Captain America on there and, and, and sell more of that image to, yeah, to, but the, to, to make sure the next movie makes a billion and a half dollars instead of a billion. Sure. But the theater um, is still making the money on the Coca-Cola and the popcorn, not on Captain America. Well, yeah, 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 sure. But, but, but it's, uh, you know, I, I almost think that the model has been inverted, you know, mm-hmm. I mean like, like, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the radio drama used to be there a spotter to sell detergent to, to, you know, to, to people in homes. Right. And, and, and now it's, um now it's flipped because, you know, everything is about this monolith, property now i mean it's 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 an interesting study i think to to a certain degree i mean there's a reason why we don't have agents of shield series season eight and that's advertising um it's not that they don't have the money to make it there's a reason why we don't have a season three of agent carter it's advertising it's how much do we spend versus how much do we make and while there is an enormous amount of money to be made on the cinematic side every dollar that avengers movie makes merchandising makes five dollars Mm-hmm. Licensing makes three more dollars than that. Right. There's a, one of my favorite musical artists is a guy named Tobian Wigway out of uh, Texas right now. He's uh, been doing this thing where every Sunday he releases a new a song and hopefully a video. For, and he's, he's been doing it for four years and his plans to do it for 10 years. And he just does it on YouTube. And people were confused about it. They were like, how is he making this high grade music? And he put a hashtag, buy merch, not music. Mm-hmm. He can't make yeah. money on, he can't make money oh, on yeah. music. He can make money on touring back before pandemic, and he can make money on merch. And it's Marvel operates the same way. If, well, if Marvel, well, I, I, yeah, if Marvel I, I mean, gave my, away their comics tomorrow, they would the company would not notice it yeah. on the bottom line because of yeah. t-shirt sales at Target. Yeah, and, and I mean, comics are still having trouble. I mean, my my you know my 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 you know my thing here is that the last Avengers movie made two billion dollars. You know, like that piece of property. So, so, so what I'm saying is there, this thing is mutated to a certain degree. You know what I'm saying? And and it's weird now because the, I mean, it's what Marvel hasn't figured out, right? Is that the, the way to make the comics relevant, uh, uh, you know, is to, 
is to have greater synergy between the movies and the comics. They refuse to do it for whatever reason. We've talked about it on I, 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 on this thing before, you know, this 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 interaction. I mean, I, I just wonder how that, like, that, yes, that 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 model is 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 completely still sort of true. But I wonder, I wonder how it changes now that these that these that these properties themselves are $2 billion like monstrosities. So I feel like Disney is a very specific example and I am going to call it Disney because it's Disney, not Marvel. Yeah. Disney is sure. a very specific example because it's selling a lifestyle. Disney is using Marvel to make Disney husbands the same way there's already Disney wives. Those mm -hmm. white middle-aged ladies that go to Disney three times a year and have the annual passes and are obsessed with the different ears that they buy on Etsy. Like that is such a specific thing, but it is also the thing that drives so much of what they do. Like when Disney shut down their parks, that was when they started worrying about money. Yes, Avengers makes sure. a lot of money, but those parks and the licensing fees, like we were saying, the shirts oh, yeah. and Target are the big thing. Mm. But if we're talking about Dynamite, Dark Horse, even when they're working with yeah. I IP, right? Like that's not creator own. It's it there's IP involved there. I think that's a little bit more of an interesting conversation because if we're talking about Mike Mignola, for example, Mike Mignola comics are selling Mike Mignola. They're not necessarily selling Hellboy. They're selling the the stories and the the reputation of Hellboy creator. Like, yes, there's some advertisements in there, but like it, it has flipped a little bit, but I think Disney is such a specific example because of the way that their merchandising works and the way that they've turned into this like identity whereas like if i wear a bprd t-shirt that's not like my whole self that's just i happen to like hellboy versus you know i have 50 ears in a closet somewhere which sounds I'm really, really sinister out of context <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i'm really glad that you brought that up caitlin because the boss at my day job has that annual pass has 50 yep. sets of ears and literally seven or eight times a year was at Disneyland with her whole yep. family because of that. And mm -hmm. when we talk about, yeah, uh, we, we, we listen to numbers and we think that they're big numbers because of who we are. The Avengers made $2 billion. I looked this up right now. In 2018, the Disney theme parks made $20.3 billion. So $2 billion is cute, but <laughs> I mean, well, no, and that's, that, that, there is always that tail wagging the dog. I mean, I didn't know until fairly recently that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoons that everybody loved, they were toy commercials by design. Like, literally, they had the toy line, yeah. and they went, well, yeah. how do we get people to buy the toy line? That doesn't make them an invalid form of entertainment. No. That didn't no. change people's lives and make them very happy and make them lifelong fans. But they were toy commercials. I worked for. A, I, I wrote us on a spinoff of the Power Rangers called VR Troopers, mm -hmm. and the the mission statement was: we want to make a Power Rangers show for older teenagers, so a little smarter, a little more mature, a little more sophisticated. We were the second highest rated show on kids television, and we got canceled because seventeen and eighteen year olds don't buy the toys. So we weren't selling, and the only notes I got from the network were uh, Ryan hasn't written the VR cycle in a couple of episodes. Could he, <laughs> could he ride the? Could he ride the VR? We're really trying to move those VR cycles. I'm like, sure, he can ride the VR cycle. It's not like the greatest artistic compromise I've ever made on my life to put him in the VR cycle instead of the VR mm -hmm. tank 
for 30 <laughs> seconds. But that was a real education for me yeah. that my very successful show that was beloved by its fans got canceled because the fans were too old to play with dolls. This was the mid nineties. Now literally no one is too old to play with dolls. Yeah. You know, no, everyone, it's perfectly fine. Everyone has their action figure collection. You know, it's a, uh, it's kind of a fascinating change in, you know, you could probably track it along with the adults celebrating Halloween after the age of 18 <laughs> phenomenon, which was not a thing when I was a kid. I have some yeah. Very nice. Wayne McDuffie used to say the same thing. He was like, "Static shock." Golden Apple so got some backstock supply of VR Troopers action figures. Oh my god, that's amazing! And I bought one and never thought about it again. And the next time I came in, they very nicely had packaged up the entire set to just give to me because oh. nobody cared. Oh. Still, VR awesome Troopers fans were not buying action figures. That had not changed in twenty-five years. If you had yeah. bought a few more of those uh, back then, that show might still be on. My, yeah, but yeah, it's a uh, that balance between art and commerce. Like I said earlier, if you don't think you're selling Coca-Cola, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. And becoming at peace with the idea that you're doing the best work you can possibly do, and teaching people, and moving people, and touching hearts while selling the Coca-Cola—that's the gig, mm -hmm. and that's the you know, and hopefully giving you folks something to talk about and be interested in and dissect and, you know, uh, ultimately it's the best job in the world. Yeah. You True. know, Gosh, it is. and no, no one has the version of it. That's not selling Coca-Cola, no matter what they tell you, yeah. you know, I but feel so I'm lucky to talk about comic all day. Like <laughs> I just, People, people all the time, especially if I've like, reviewed something that folks like and they get like, you don't even like comics. I'm like, no, I love comics. I love comics. I love nerds. I love superheroes. I love everything in that corner of the universe. I just also want it to be better. That's, nice. Yeah. That's, I'm a big comics fan. I have dipped out of reading comics at least four times in my life. Yep. Where like nothing good was out for three or like I would get the pull list and for three months I would get stuff I literally didn't like and go, you know what? I can, Can't I can just take it off. Stop. I can just, <laughs> yeah. I can just stop this. And then something, a new talent would come along or a new thing would be developed and I would go, okay, I'll, I'll read this for a while, you know, and it's still, but like my favorite comic I got in the mail yesterday. Uh, I finally got some, uh, Jack Kirby, Fourth World Omnibuses. Those are still my favorite comics. I'm very happy to have them on my shelves. Uh, I replaced the uh, the first versions that I had bought the first versions they came out with, which were black and white, which was a mm. crime against humanity. These are recolored in a way that's also a little sad. So I still have my nice. I feel like we could talk about recoloring for a full hour too. Oh, Just that's, like, that's what that means. That's its own depressing episode. Yeah. But, oh my God. But, but one thing I will say, and it's part of, I don't think anyone needs to come to a Tarantino movie knowing who Don Siegel is. I, I don't think you need Star Wars. You need to know Kurosawa to enjoy Star Wars. To me, the best job of the critic is you would also enjoy Hidden Fortress. 
if you like this thing, you would enjoy Don Siegel's The Killers from with Lee Marvin. That's that's exactly a Tarantino movie. Go watch that. To me, that's the joy in what you do. Uh, and I think we all do it a little bit in our personal lives. I discovered, to wrap this into that bow, I discovered Jack Kirby because a friend of mine, an older friend of mine, was offended by how much I loved the Micronauts. <laughs> I love the Micronauts. The Micronauts were great. Just like Star Wars is great, but he said, if you like Darth Vader and Baron Karza, Dark Side yeah. is the original shit in the original bottle. Yeah. Pour out the original vintage. And, and Dark Side is, to this day, my favorite comic book character. And I think there's a great irony in the fact that the best version of Dar of Dark Side in pop culture is the one on the Harley Quinn sitcom, yeah. not anywhere else. Because they oh, wow. grasp that Dark Side is a poetic weirdo. And that's always been my favorite thing about him as a comic book character. If you go back and read Jack Kirby, he mostly stands around saying weird shit all the time. <laughs> and everybody's just kind of terrified. Dark Side's talking about the flowers and the birds again. Holy shit, where is this going to go? Uh, I, and I just kind of love that they write him that way. Um, my friend called him the the creepy goth kid in high school. And like, that's, that's, he is. Like, you're yeah. kind of scared of him and you don't know what he's going to do. And he's yeah. wearing a lot of black and you're just like, okay. Yeah. What are you, I love yeah. one of my favorite moments ever in comics. He, he breaks up the wedding of Scott Free and uh, Big Barda at the end of the last Kirby issue of Mr. Miracle. And the, the, the little kid and the little person are the last people there and they see dark side. And he says, it was brief, but full of emotion, but life at best is bittersweet. And it's like, it's kind of hard to imagine Darth Vader saying life at best is bittersweet, <laughs> you know? And I just, just, I love dark, dark side as hilarious weirdo is just, I think that's an underdone uh, pop culture trope. But the uh, with that cartoon is excellent. Oh, it's, I can honestly say it is my favorite version of DC everything. Yeah. Uh, of it. all of the DC, have you not watched it, Hannibal? I got no. I, I got. I'll start tomorrow. It's yeah, so. It and it's got Diedrich. Diedrich Bader is the mm -hmm. Batman. I love him. He's great. Who is comedy <laughs> Batman from the Brave and Bold cartoons? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. They're uh, the King Shark they, joke that is just. Oh, King Shark is Ron <laughs> Funches. Ron Funches is just, oh. I love Ron. Oh my God, I love Ron. Yeah, Ron Funches is King Shark, and it's so. And it's a just. It's also. It is a really good story. Yeah. At okay. least I don't know what if they're going to do a uh, third season, but it's a two-season arc. Alan Tudyk is the Joker. It's it's wow. excellent across the board. And like I said, they even drag Darkseid and Apocalypse and Parademons and Granny Goodness into all of it, and that's ridiculous. Like yeah. you know, and that's you know. Uh, and it's Michael Ironside doing Dark Side, who did him in the uh, the <laughs> Superman cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, Hannibal's losing his mind. Just for the listeners at home, Hannibal is losing his mind on video. Yeah. <laughs> really? sorry. Ever since watching V, Michael Ironside. Oh, Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside is badass. Yeah. yeah. Michael Michael Ironside is. I remember seeing Scanners on opening night, and he's the villain in Scanners. And in that whole, everyone in that, most of the cast of that movie is pretty bad and wooden. And he's like fucking Brando, like out of left field. <laughs> he's so vivid and real and alive and blowing people's brains up with his head. And you're like, yeesh. 
this guy is too good an actor for the rest of his movies. He's, he's, he's making great everyone every, uncomfortable. He's great in everything that he's in. Uh, my 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 absolute favorite movie, uh, you know, in the world is Karate Kid. Uh, two and three have a very special place in my heart, even though they're you know their own weird monsters. My least favorite movie that's ever been on the screen is the next Karate Kid just horrendous and awful but michael ironsides is 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 the 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 villain almost like the bizarro uh evil mr miyaki <laughs> and he's he's throwing 100 miles an hour and painting the corners uh and even though the dialogue that he's been given to say makes absolutely no sense he is fucking phenomenal do it uh, yeah. no he's and one so, of those actors yeah. that he 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 can't be uninteresting you can't yeah you give him the dumbest line of dialogue to say and he will say it in a way that makes the whole audience go yeah what is thinking yeah. what is going on in that guy's head yeah and, 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 and he has a very like you know he has a very i mean he's an actor who kind of is always playing michael ironsides to a certain degree you know and but but i, but I love michael ironsides and it's like he's you know he's he's ornery and he's always like he seems like he's like a little bit pissed off that he has to be there like he'd rather be somewhere else you know um i i, I just love it i i love yeah. his whole shtick like you know Sign me up for Michael Ironsides. Yeah. I haven't heard anyone rec re uh, reference the second V miniseries in many, many years. <laughs> that's, I'm sorry. That's, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I nerd hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that in college. We were all very excited for the sequel to V. It's not as good as the first miniseries, but it does have Michael Ironside, and that's important. You come to this show for the important <laughs> cutting edge <laughs> opinion <laughs> about... Wow. Five line miniseries from the from the, the mid nineteen eighties, uh, but yeah, I I can't recommend that. We just rewatched that Harley Quinn show for the second time because I just couldn't, okay, well. and I was depressed when it was over because there's no more of it. Um, wow. They also do a very in terms of how the world works these days. The end credits spotlight the writers who there's a it's got a ton of characters from the DC universe on it. And the end credits always spotlight the writers and creators the, and artists who created the variety of characters in the episode. Uh, and it's it, including some really fair, Kite Man, like a real thing, a real DC yeah. Comics character named Kite Man, who is oh, actually you. crucial to the story. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, you know. And, just on the Kite Man note, have you read War of Jokes and Riddles? Are you interested mm -hmm. in? Okay. Um, it, it's not it's not necessary reading by any stretch of the imagination at all but it is a batman comic of the riddler versus the joker and all of the like d-list gotham villains get caught up in it and there's a specific i think it's either one or two issue arc specifically about kite man that True. actually like gets you to have feelings about kite man which i <laughs> it, again, it's and, and Hannibal's doing the. Uh, you're right because it is very much like the violins swell and like you're being you're being led into some emotional manipulation for sure. sure. But it is. Caitlin, it did, is. Did you read Kevin Feige? Did that Kevin Feige you again? <laughs> they did. They did. And I'm okay. Like I'm okay admitting it as long as I can recognize it. I think that's one of my sure. larger problems with like we've talked about the tribalism of fandom, and I think a lot of folks don't realize that like either they're having feelings about fan fiction that aren't canon or they're having feelings that they were manipulated into. And it's okay to have those feelings. It's just, mm -hmm. let's recognize that that's what's happening. Like this isn't, 
you're not saying give Captain America a boyfriend because there was actually any indication that he was queer. You're doing that because you want to watch him smooch Sebastian Stan, which is valid. Like, that's a valid thing. Totally but valid. let's call it what it is. Only yeah. fans. <laughs> totally, totally. But I, I do like the way Falcon and the Winter Soldier did lean a little bit into the homoeroticism last episode. I appreciated that. I will um, admit I'm behind, so I'm gonna pull my ears, go la la. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 not a big, not a, not a plot related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any, not a shocker yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, yeah. Not, not a surprise. Any any quote unquote buddy cop film goes there yeah. uh, at I, some yeah. point. Uh, and yeah, I and I will say, moon, I never the, the that particular tribalist aspect. I mean, and this is where the Coca Cola of it all comes in. The idea of saying this one entertainment juggernaut speaks to me personally on a deep level in a way that makes me hate this other giant corporate <laughs> juggernaut is just weirdly hilarious to me. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, like at least with baseball, you've got the the nativist city-state thing, like you're mm-hmm. from that area, so this is the thing you pretend is important or meaningful or related to you in some way. I mean, I had a friend who was a, not friend, I knew a guy who was a sports fan and a Boston fan, and when the when the Red Sox won the World Series, he said it was the greatest day of his life. And I said, I can't help but be incredibly sad for you. <laughs> Something a bunch of millionaires yeah. did who you don't know personally will never meet, who don't care if you live or die. Like, not your first kiss, not your when you met your no. wife, like, not none of that. A bunch of millionaires won a children's game on television. And that was the best day of your life. <laughs> Ouch. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I like I can I like I like the Star Trek and the Star Wars and the DC and the Marvel, and I don't like all of it, and I don't hate all of it, and you know, it's uh, there are there are there are great things in all of those fields and bad things in all of those fields, and I am not required to care a single way about any of yeah. it, you know. And I don't understand coming to it at that, with that angle, with that preset of this is bad because it's Marvel, well, it, this is bad because it's DC. This is. Let's also look at the fact that you're you're standing behind. You can see Frank Oz and Jim Henson from your angle. It does seem ridiculous because yeah. you see the difference. But right. when and I, I grew up with a little of this experience when you grow up in you know Natchez, Mississippi, or when you grow up in in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, or you grow up in some podunk town in the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing happening. You're bored out of your freaking mind. Either A, like Janelle Monet, you say, I gotta get the heck out of Kansas City, because this is not gonna be big enough. Or B, you dig in, and you mm-hmm. double down on tribalism. Yeah. Part of yeah, it, no, and think- this is, this is coming from like a very nerdy academic space that we could frankly fill a whole other episode with, but a part of it that's coming up now, and this is specifically related to comics gate and partly the Snyder cut is that those are actually right wing radicalizations that are associated with specific types of bigotry. So it's not just tribalism formed around a piece of content. It's tribalism formed around hatred of an external group. Um, and, and yeah. it is, it is a very leading edge 
form of anthropology and sociology. It is very interested in like internet safety and, and stalking laws and harassment and all that stuff. But like the stuff that really freaks me out and, and you can find great analysis on this is if you Google Comicsgate or Gamergate and right-wing extremism, you will find all of these academic articles that do a really good job of breaking down. This isn't just about video games. It's not just about Superman and Zack sure. Snyder. It's also about hating black people and queer people. Like that's oh, really absolutely. what it comes down to. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I always say, you know, if I was teaching filmmaking or adaptation, I would teach Watchmen as how to adapt the surface of a thing while getting what the thing was about 100% wrong. Alan Moore is a pacifist who thinks violence doesn't solve things. Zack Snyder thinks violence is cool. Yeah. Those two things are diametric. He literally doesn't understand what the story is about. And it doesn't matter how much the, the owl ship looks exactly the way it does in the comic. Mm -hmm. What's underneath. The other example I always use is uh, the shot for shot remake of Psycho. Amazing. One of the few modern. <laughs> one of the few modern I, I didn't mean it's good. I'm saying like. <laughs> one of the few modern touches that Gus Van Sant allowed himself is that when Vince Vaughn is watching Anne Hayes shower, he is masturbating. And I was watching that and went, oh, you don't know what this story yeah. is about. If Norman Bates could masturbate, he would clean up and go to bed. It is because sexual desire has been thwarted and twisted in him that he is a murderer. That is literally, and that's one of those things where as a writer you go, what is your interest in this story? If you don't understand that that's what it's about, you just like seeing a blonde murdered. Like what's the, yeah. that makes, that makes you Norman Bates to me. If you're, <laughs> yes. You know, like if you don't get what's wrong with Norman Bates is that he can't jerk off. Like if you don't get that he can't express sexuality and that's where the violence actually all comes from explicitly. It's not subtle in, even in Hitchcock's version, even in Robert Block's book, none of that is subtle. And that mm -hmm. idea to me of like, I don't understand what this story that I'm about to spend three hours telling you is about is dangerously crazy. David, understanding went out with the 20th century, like yeah. caring <laughs> and trying. Those, things, well, are, those things are artifacts of the past. We have <laughs> looped back around to our first it. topic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should wrap up. We usually like to wrap up with uh, just the quick, where are you, where can we find you? But I have to say, we should do a part two at some point, because this was really great. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Caitlin, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at C Rosberg Crossberg. Um, and I will link to anything I do, but I also frankly link to a lot of stuff that other people do that I think is neat. And that's my favorite part of my job. So yeah, find me there. Nice. Hannibal. Well, uh, the big thing that I'm supposed to talk about is on April 13th, my graphic novel with Joe Illich MPLS sound will be out from, um, humanoids publishing. Nice. Uh, in 1983 around the rise of Prince and the revolution. Wow, uh, that's going to be coming out. I just had a release of Noir is the New Black from Fair Square Comics, an all-black creator's noir anthology, and Cyberpunk, an all-black creator's uh, cyberpunk anthology. Those are just, just came out. Uh, I announced that Project Wildfire, the comic I'm working on independently, independently with Quinn McGowan, will be coming out through Second Sight Publishing in comic book stores as of November, uh, if Diamond's still around. And... <laughs> <laughs> 
Ooh, too soon? And we should do an episode we'll, we'll on to, Diamond. We'll get to that. We'll get to that on part two, Hannibal. Yeah, God. Uh, and and yeah, my reviews every week are on bleedingcool.com and on the iHeartRadio podcast, Nerdorama with Mo and Tawala, and uh, which I've actually still got to record today. Um, and yeah, I think. Uh, oh, and of course, you can find me at HannibalTaboo.com, social media at sign HannibalTaboo on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, MySpace, Friendster, wherever you need to go. Nice. Love and it. And Ryland? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for you guys. Uh, my, uh, my books, uh, the Ringo award-winning Aberrant and the, uh, four-time Ringo nominated Banjax are available in fine comic shops everywhere and via Amazon and Comixology and anywhere you, uh, get your books. Um, my latest and greatest, the kick you in the teeth and nowhere else, uh, uh, astral projection thriller, the jump is available right now, uh, on Kickstarter, uh, go to bit.ly backslash the jump two. And uh, check that out. Um, we just funded. Got a lot of badass uh, uh, stretch goals coming up. So uh, hop on the nice. train, guys. And I am at uh, www. You know, I say that part because I'm 100 years old. Uh, <laughs> www.davidavalonefreelance.com because GoDaddy are bastards and they squatted on davidavaloni.com. What? Why? You think I'm going to pay that extortion? I am not. Uh, and that has the links to all of the things in the places and the whatever. And I do another podcast called Pulp Today, where, by the way, Caitlin, I talked to David Walker about Donald F. Goins in one episode. And he reads a whole, I think, a whole chapter of Don Goins, which is terrific stuff. I love David. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, but that's it for this episode. We will catch you on the next exciting one. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.